Uh, we're going to jump right into scripture. We're actually in the book of James, and I've kind of noticed, have you noticed this so far, that like James doesn't waste time with transitions, right, or introductions. He just kind of goes right at it. He just comes right at us. So I thought we could just jump right in to James, and we're going to be in James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. So let's go ahead and read together. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, or does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and later looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And lastly, verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Wow. James does this incredible job. He just, he just kind of like comes right at you. He doesn't waste time, uh, and, and he doesn't waste time with these transitions, and he just kind of drops these truth bombs. It's like, it's like he's like hitting us with these jabs. It's like he's like this this boxer, right? And he, he just kind of jabs us with all these, these rich truths. And, and he's also kind of like a boxer because he kind of, he like jabs and he kind of sticks and then he moves, right? He's like, he'll change topics super quick. Like he's already just in this passage we just read. He's talked about our words and, and being cautious with our words. He's talked about anger. He's talked about the power of the word. Uh, and then he comes back to, to how our speech, we need to control our speech. So he's just, he's just like sticking and moving and dodging and sticking and moving. And these rich truths are so powerful. The, 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 these rich truths, these, these like wisdom bombs are just so powerful. And, and they kind of set us up, these jabs, that they're like setting us up for these like, these like crosses or these, these knockout blows that just kind of send us reeling. These, these overarching themes of the book that just hit us so hard. It's like in verse 26, if you can't control your tongue, your religion is worthless. So kind of the big idea here, first the jab. The jab is like, look, words matter. Words are powerful. That's like the jab. And then I think he's kind of setting us with this jab. He's setting us up with this idea that, look, if we say we're followers of Jesus, maybe we should think like Jesus. If we say that we're followers of Jesus, maybe we should act like Jesus. If we say we are followers of Jesus, maybe we should talk like Jesus. That's kind of the big idea. I think it'll make more sense. If you have your Bibles, it probably would be good because we're going kind of verse by verse. It probably would be good to follow along with us as we're just going to kind of chew on this like James. We're going to kind of stick and move, okay? So, so he starts right off. He says, look, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Look, words are powerful, Words are powerful. They're, they're so powerful. If we, will, if we will allow people to speak, they, it can actually be kind of therapeutic. There's like a healing property to just 
listening. And it's so beautiful. I love this idea. Quick to listen. Quick to listen. It's like your first priority. Your first priority is understanding the other person. Wow, guys, that little phrase... That phrase right there, be quick to listen, that phrase is so powerful, it could probably save some marriages in this room right now. Is that not true? Because somebody who maybe has been doing life uh, with, with, their, in their, with their spouse for a while, could somebody, could somebody kind of like attest to that or give a testimony about that? That Yeah, if we're quick to listen, that can take a surviving marriage or a struggling marriage and make it into this thriving, vibrant marriage. That's such a powerful truth. If we're quick to listen, like our first priority is to understand our spouse. There's a healing property when we just listen. There's, there's this group called CR, or Celebrate Recovery. It's an awesome group. It's an awesome group. It kind of helps people kind of overcome or have some victory over any kind of, any kind of destructive behavior in your life. And they actually meet, uh, we have one here in Oakland. They meet in, uh, at, at Evangelical Free. So if you're looking for a group that could kind of walk alongside you as you're dealing with, with any sort of destructive behavior, whatever it might be, any, any kind of addiction, any kind of behavior that you, you really like to have some victory over, it's an awesome group. They meet on Friday nights at the Evangelical Free Church. But I was talking to one of their counselors one time, and he does this. He does this kind of like uh, practice or, or, or um, routine where he actually like, they just give people two minutes, two minutes to just kind of share from their heart. And, and it's uninterrupted. There, there's no judgment. It's uninterrupted. They get two minutes and he says, it's powerful. He says, you know, how often realistically, think about it. When was the last time you got to talk for two minutes uninterrupted? I mean, I know because I get to do this sometimes, and it, this is my therapy. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you. But, but realistically, in our life, when was the last time that somebody just listened to you share from your heart for two minutes? He says it's powerful. It's, it's therapeutic. You know what's also really powerful is that, that, that this is actually kind of something that Jesus himself practiced. You know, oftentimes we focus and we talk about being quick to listen. We talk about marriage. But, but this could affect any relationship. If you were quick to listen and your first priority was to understand your boss, how would that change your relationships at work? If you were quick to listen to your employees, how would that change the relationship you have with your employees? Any relationship. In fact, even the relationships, like the budding relationships, maybe, maybe you're, you're wanting to share the gospel with a friend or a neighbor, and you're kind of like wondering, like, how do I, how do I even do that? How, how do I share the gospel? We put, a lot of, uh, uh, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we talk about sharing the gospel, but, but you know, Jesus, this is what's so fascinating about Jesus' ministry. Jesus was a truth teller, right? He, he was a preacher, and, and he, he preached, definitely, it's in scripture, but did you know this? Did you know he asked 307 questions in his ministry? An author went through and kind of cataloged these. He asked 307 questions. In fact, he was asked 183 questions. People asked Jesus 183 questions. But you know what? He actually only gave three direct answers to their questions. Only three times. He understood the power of kind of letting people think for themselves. To kind of letting them kind of wrestle with these answers. So he asked a lot of questions, or he told stories that made you think, and, and how would that change how you share the gospel? If we were quick to listen to the person, here's a very simple model that I like to share with people. If you're wanting to share your faith with somebody, here's a very simple model. First, listen to their story. 
Listen to their story. There is healing in that. Listen to their story. The word of God in, in, in Proverbs 18 says this. Uh, the, the, Proverbs 18.5. Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. If you'll be a man of understanding, you'll seek to understand them. If that's your priority, listen to their story first. And then it's very simple after that. You then share God's story. And, and it can be kind of directed. Jesus had this incredible, incredible ability to understand his audience. He would present the gospel pretty much different to, to every different person, right? It was, it was directed at them. And so you can kind of present the gospel as it relates to their story. And then you share your story. It's very simple. Listen to their story. Share God's story. And then share your story of how God has moved in your life. It's powerful, and it doesn't have to be that complicated. And wow, how would it change? How would it change if your first priority in sharing the gospel? How would it change your relationships if your first priority in all your relationships was just to be quick to listen? Words are powerful, and if we'll listen, there could be this healing property to it. But words are also powerful, so, so we, should, we should use words very soberly, right? We should be, as the scripture says, we should then be slow to speak. Words can be, can be powerful and bring healing, but they can also be kind of dangerous, right? You can bless with your mouth, and you can curse with your mouth. That's, that's powerful. So we should, we, should, we should deal with words soberly. I would even go as far as to say this. I would actually not only, you know how we say think before we speak? We should definitely do that. I would just recommend that we, we kind of slow down our response even. Let's just kind of slow down. If you're, if you're easily angered or you're easily offended, what's going on with that? There's an urgency to your response. You need to kind of just slow your roll a little bit. You know, you, gotta, you just kind of got to slow your response. Don't, don't, don't make up. Uh, stories about the person who's talking to you. Don't, 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 don't kind of work yourself into it. Just kind of slow down that response. What I have found, what I've found as I get older in life is there are many, many problems that, that I'm confronted with or people will bring to me a lot of problems that I can't fix. At least I can't fix them yet. And what I found is sometimes I don't actually even need to respond. At least I don't need to respond Yet, you know, like they're real problems. I got to deal with these real problems, but I don't need to respond. One of the, this happens, and I was talking to my wife yesterday about it. this happens in our relationship all the time. Like Jean will, will bring a problem to me, and, and it'll be like maybe she's hurt or, or she's, she's struggling with something, and, and that hurts me. Like if, if it hurts my wife, it hurts me. And so I, I have this natural response to come up with some hasty solution. Does anybody else do this? Like I got to fix the problem right now. Well, if this is a hurt, or maybe I have nothing to do with it, maybe there's nothing I can do with it, or I can't do anything with it yet, what I find is my hasty solution is actually kind of a messy solution. Any, anybody been there? I'm getting some head nods here. It, it, your, your hasty solution oftentimes makes the problem worse, and you can't fix it. You're going to have to deal with it, but now you've, now you've got to deal with the, the new problems you've created. So I either do a hasty response, or maybe somebody does this. This is something I do. It's terrible. Uh, but, but Gene will bring something to me, and, and, and I want to fix the solution. Or maybe, maybe the problem is me. There's a rare occasion where it is me, I'm going to be honest. But, but I will get, then I will immediately, I'll, I'll quickly respond, and I'll get defensive. And what, I, what, I, what my default position typically is, is then I will dismiss Gene's feelings. 
Anybody do this where you're like, oh, well, Gene, I, yeah, but that, you're, that, that doesn't bother you. That shouldn't bother you. Like, I somehow know her feelings better than she knows her feelings, right? And so here's what happens. As I quickly respond and I dismiss her feelings, what happens is, one, I have not fixed the problem. I have not fixed the problem, but now I have strained the relationship. You see that? I've strained the relationship. What I've found is even if I can't fix the problem, or even if the problem is me, if I just first seek to understand, even if I can't fix the problem, or I can't fix the problem yet, if I just seek to understand, what I do is I salvage the relationship. Do you see that? In fact, I may even strengthen the relationship. So even though we have to deal with the problems, problems just don't go away, right? you got to deal with the problems. you got to be real with your problems. You're going to have to deal with your problems. Even if the problem doesn't go away, now we can attack the problem together. And I haven't made a, a, another problem by, by weakening the relationship. You see what I'm saying? If we would just be quick to listen and, and slow to speak, sometimes we don't even need to respond. Or our response doesn't have to be hasty. We can respond together as our relationship is even more strengthened. Wow, these are powerful truths. And James just keeps hitting with it, hitting us with them. And then he dodges and he moves. He sticks and he moves. He sticks and he moves, right? So he goes right into this next point, anger. Slow to be angry. Words are powerful because words lead us, right? Scripture in James, actually, you'll say it in chapter 3, but the, the words, our tongue is like the rudder of the ship. It actually steers us. We're going to talk about that because really anger can kind of come from four different places. One, it can come from our words. We're going to talk about that. But anger can also come from some other places, and we should take some time and kind of talk about anger here. See, anger is what they call, in psychology or whatever, and even in Scripture, you could kind of see this concept. But anger is a secondary emotion. Is everybody still tracking with me? I'm going fast, but we're, we're sticking and moving, okay? Stay with me, okay? Um, so anger is a secondary emotion. What that means is I can't make you angry. People say that all the time. You make me so angry. Nah, -uh. you, you respond with anger, right? Anger is a secondary emotion. So if you get angry, that's because you're choosing to be angry, okay? Now what I can do is I can hurt you. Right? I can physically hurt you, or I can emotionally hurt you. I can hurt you. That would be maybe like the primary. Uh, but the secondary is the anger, the response. So I can, I can hurt you, or, or, or one thing we were talking in our meeting, I can frustrate you. Like if I don't meet your expectations or something, I could frustrate you. That could be a primary one. Or I could maybe frighten you. Uh, you could be afraid of me. And, and so out of that... Would, would come a response, but I don't make you angry, right? I hurt you or frighten you or frustrate you. Maybe you can come up with some others, but those are the three I, I, I thought of this week. So uh, what my point is is this, is that oftentimes we prefer anger, that emotion, over hurt, right? And so we are quick to be angry, <clears throat> There is a, it's very enticing because we'd rather be angry. In our minds, it's kind of ironic. In our minds, we feel like, yeah, I'm taking more control, right? I'm taking control. You can't hurt me. I'm going to take some control here. But it's just, it's ironic to me that oftentimes we, we realize that actually when we get angry, we wind up actually losing control, right? In, in an attempt, in an attempt to gain control, we actually weaken ourselves with anger and 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 it's not the only option right we we can respond to fear with love perfect love drives out fear 
If I don't meet your expectations, you could respond with grace. You, you could be forgiving to me. Uh, you, you have other responses, but we prefer anger for some reason. It's so enticing, but we need to be slow to get angry. I also want to point out here, too, I think this is important, is that he says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Do you see that? So there is a righteous anger. There is some things that should make you angry, but the anger of man is self-centered. It typically has a cause, and it's typically hurt, frustration, or fear. You know what Jesus does or God does? God, when he talks to Cain, remember Cain, he killed his brother Abel. Cain wasn't just a naturally angry man. Cain was embarrassed. He, he was hurt. He was insecure. He had, he had messed up. He kind, of, he kind of offered this offering that he knew was probably kind of second rate. And so he was embarrassed. And what, what does God say to him when he meets him? He says, he says to, to, to Cain, he says, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? Sin crouches at the door, but you must master it. That's what we've got to be willing to do. We've got to be strong enough in our anger. If you want to be slow to anger, here's what you do. Ask yourself why. Be strong enough to ask yourself why. You're preferring anger over hurt. I don't blame you. Everybody would prefer anger over hurt. But you're losing control. And anger never leads to the righteousness of God. So you're destroying things. Everything is getting destroyed in your wake. People are walking on eggshells. If you're quick to get angry, be strong enough to ask yourself, why? Am I hurt? Am I frustrated? Is somebody not meeting my expectations? Do I have unrealistic expectations? Am I afraid? Am I insecure? Ask yourself why. But there's one other reason that we can get angry. Because words are powerful. We can actually talk ourselves into anger, right? We can talk ourselves into anger. Have you ever done this where, where you, somebody hurts you maybe? Somebody hurts you and so you call up your buddy. You call up your buddy and, and, and um, it, there's this great proverb. <clears throat> Proverbs 22, 24. <clears throat> Pardon me. Don't make friends with an angry man. And do not associate, associate with a hot-tempered man, you may, or you may learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You call up your buddy because somebody's hurt you or somebody's frustrated you. You say, you're not going to believe what Jim did. You're not going to believe what, what Jane did. And we start kind of talking ourselves into to, to anger. We start kind of creating our own backstories, right? Like, you know, I bet, I bet Jim showed up late to that meeting because he doesn't respect me as a leader. I bet you that he doesn't value my time. I bet, that, I bet that Janet did that thing because she thinks less of me. She thinks I'm not worthy of respect. We talk ourselves into anger. In fact, James actually says this in chapter 3. James 3, verse 5. In the same way, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it boasts of great things. Consider how small a spark sets a great forest ablaze. The tongue also is a fire. Watch this. A world of wickedness among the parts of the body. It pollutes the whole person. It steers the ship, right? It pollutes the whole person, sets the course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. You can talk yourself into anger if you let it. You can talk yourself into all this destruction. You can set the whole, your whole life on fire. You can pollute your whole life if you'll talk yourself into it. But there's hope. There's hope. Uh, there's hope because words are powerful and God's word is powerful. There's a great example of this. Do you guys know the boxer George Foreman? Do we got a photo of George Foreman? 
George Foreman, you might know him as a boxer or you might know him as the lean, mean grilling machine. You remember that guy? Uh, he's a great boxer, great story, but a great example of anger. You might not know this about him, but as a kid, uh, George Foreman, actually as a boxer early in his career, he was a miserable, a miserable human being. He was, he was incredibly cruel and just angry, angry as all get out. And he says this in his testimony. He says that uh, he, he got sick and tired. I read this article. He got sick and tired of bringing an empty lunchbox to school. He was sick and tired of it. What, what he was saying is he, his anger was coming from this place of hurt. He grew up very poor in a poor neighborhood in Houston, Texas. And so he would go to school without lunch. He'd get picked on. Stuff. He got so angry. And then what happened was he got into boxing. And in boxing, he said, anger was kind of celebrated. And so he got around these people that kind of celebrated his anger. He started to talk himself into anger. He got around angry, ill-tempered people. He said he met Sonny Liston, who was a, a heavyweight champion. He said he was the most angry man he'd ever met. And he said, if I'm going to make it in boxing, I'm going to have to be angry. And so he became very angry. And at first, he was very successful. He beat Joe Frazier. He won the Olympics. Beat Joe Frazier. Knocked him out six times in, this, in one match. Knocked him down six times. Incredible boxer, George Foreman. The, but... Crazy story, a little known story. Do you know that, that uh, at the time, Ali was still boxing, but he had been stripped of his title because he dodged the draft. Remember that? And so everybody said, yeah, George Foreman, you have the belt, but the greatest is still Muhammad Ali, right? Well, Muhammad Ali was a veteran boxer at this time, and he knew George Foreman was an angry man. And so very wisely, he challenges George Foreman to a boxing match in Zaire, Africa, very hot, very hot place. And he basically, for eight rounds, he, he, he dances around the ring and, and taunts him. Every time George Foreman hits Ali with a big, big blow, George Foreman would say, is that all you got, George? I'm sorry, Ali would tell George Foreman, is that all you got, George? It infuriated George Foreman. And so George Foreman kept chasing him around the ring until, I believe it was the eighth round, when George Foreman was so exhausted from the heat that Ali knocks Foreman out, and all of George Foreman's hopes and dreams with it. George Foreman becomes a bitter, even more bitter, more angry, more paranoid. His, his life just kind of starts to tailspin, but he knows he needs a rematch. Ali won't give it to him. He gets so mad at Ali, he says, I, I wanted to get in the ring. I wanted to kill him. That's what his goal was. He wanted to kill him so he could prove to the world that he was the greatest. And so he, he starts chasing Ali, starts fighting all these, these bouts to force Ali to fight him. Eventually, he loses to a guy named Young in the 12th round by decision, and all of his hopes are gone. But that night, that night, this is, this is the great story, but there's hope, right? Because the words are powerful. Words are powerful, and the word of God is powerful. The word of God is powerful enough to save us. That night, after losing to that, that, that young guy, uh, he goes back into the, to the, the dressing room and he passes out. He says he goes to this, this place of just complete emptiness. It was just completely lost, this emptiness. It was kind of like the climax of anger. Anger always leads to destruction. Anger of man always leads to destruction. So it was this emptiness and this absolute lostness. And it was at that moment where Jesus Christ became very real to George Foreman. We know George Foreman as the lean, mean, grilling machine, the happiest man alive, right? But he was actually a miserable human being until he met Jesus Christ. And after he met Jesus Christ, everything changed. He started to forgive everyone. He was just this loving soul. He was hugging everyone. In fact, Ali became his best friend. He started to forgive everyone. He, in fact, he left boxing for 10 years, and he started an, a center, youth center for at-risk youth, at-risk 
at-risk youth in his hometown of Houston, Texas. And he's teaching them how to box and how, how love is a far greater motivator than, than anger. But he realizes at the end of 10 years, he's like, you know what? I gotta, I'm going to have to prove it to these kids and prove it to myself. So after 10 years of retirement, George Foreman goes back, back into boxing. And at the age of 45 and 360 days, almost 46 years old, in the eighth round, wearing the same shorts he wore against Muhammad Ali, he knocks out a much younger Michael Moore, knocks him on his back, sets with the jab, finishes with the cross. He becomes the oldest heavyweight champion of all time by, I believe, eight years. The next youngest guy was eight years younger than him. He's victorious, and he proves to the kids. He had to prove to him that love was a great, greater motivator than anger. anger. The anger of man always leads to the destruction, always, always causes chaos, right? But there's hope. There's always hope because the word of God has the power to save us. I love this in James. We're back in James here. I love what he says. He says, uh, uh, right here, it says, humbly accept the word that is planted in you. Humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. The word of God is powerful, but we, we have to humbly accept him. It's like George Foreman there. He had to have that dark night of the soul. Before, Jesus could, before he could truly accept Jesus as his Savior, right? We've got to humbly accept God. And, and this is the thing about God's Word. This is the thing about God's Word. It can't just exist in this intellectual vacuum of our mind, right? Knowledge, knowledge puffs us up. Knowledge creates a pride in us. But no, no, no. This is about humbly accepting the Word of God. Knowledge puffs up, but, but this has to be received humbly. And I love this. It's got to be planted in us. Planted in us means that, that one, it's got to sink its deep roots into our, our soul, but then it's got to produce, it's got to grow. The Word of God is living and active. The Word of God by nature has to be put into practice. It has to produce fruit. It cannot exist solely in, in, in these kind of like vacuum of our mind. It has to produce fruits. I love this. It, it has to kind of go from our mind and permeate every member of our body. It has to become who we are. It has to change us and make us totally new. I love this picture of, of a man looking in the mirror. He looks in the mirror and then he walks away and forgets what he looked like, right? He forgets what he looks like. It's not about what you think. It's about who you are. And so when you sin, you look back at that sin, you say, wait a second, that's not me. Like the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 that's sin that lives in me. That's sin that lives in me. I remember that guy. That guy died. That guy was my old self. That's not me. That behavior, that sin is not becoming of a child of God. It becomes who you are. That's, that's what it means to truly believe when, it, uh, when we allow the word of God to change us. If it doesn't change us, then James hits us with this knockout blow. And the knockout blow is this. If you can't even control your tongue, if you can't even control your tongue, then your religion is worthless. If the word of God is not going to change your heart, then what do you even believe? That's the knockout blow. And man, it sends us all reeling, doesn't it? Because none of us control our tongue. Even James says that. Who doesn't stumble, right? If he controls his tongue, he'd be a perfect man. That's what James says in chapter 3. None of us can control our tongue, right? Only by the grace of God do we control our tongue. So every one of us is hit with that knockout blow, like reeling, like, oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. 
Now, James is trying to do two things with this knockout blow. He's not a, he's not a cruel person. What he's trying to do, one, is he's trying to call us out if we're faking. All right? He's calling out the fakers. James lives at a time of, of the persecuted church. He's watched his half-brother be killed. He's watched Stephen be killed. He will watch Peter or Paul be arrested. Uh, so the, the time of persecution is upon the church. The church is underground. And what James needs to understand and what the early church had to understand is they had to know who could be trusted, right? They couldn't be surrounded by a bunch of fakers because it was dangerous, right? And so he's calling out the fakers. Jesus did this. He said, look, I'd rather you be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of the mouth. Basically, he says, look, there's the knockout blow. If you're faking, then you stay down. It's just going to get worse. But look, James's heart is not for us to just question, wait a second, do I even believe this? His heart is not to just wound us. It's the, it's the love of God that draws about repentance, that brings about repentance. James's heart is really... It's really a wake-up call. And so as he hits us, he knocks us to the canvas, and we're sitting there in our blood and our tears and our trials, whatever, that, that we, would, we would ask ourselves, or, or we, would, we would kind of get real with ourselves. It's this humbling reality, like, whoa, whoa, Lord, wait a second. I, I worship you on Sunday, but then I curse my family on Monday? That, that's terrible. As he knocks us to the canvas, he's trying to stir up an affection in our heart for a loving Savior. So we cry out, oh my Lord, I can't even control my tongue. I'm so sorry, Lord Jesus. It's like the Apostle Paul in chapter 7. He says, the, the, the wood that I would do, I'm not doing. But that I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. Oh, what a wretched body of death. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Somebody's calling me to tell me I need to wrap it up. <laughs> That's Pastor Dave. Yeah, Pastor, I got it. I got it. I'm just kidding. It wasn't him. <laughs> hey, look. Jesus loves you. And I want to be very clear. Doing good things doesn't earn his love, okay? That's not what James is teaching here. He doesn't. He's not expecting perfection. What he's calling us to is to humbly accept the word of God. Are we just going to hear it in one ear and let it go out the other ear? Or is it going to seek deep into our heart and permeate our members and bring about real fruit? So here's our challenge this week. Okay, we're going to close with this. On the way out by the coffee bar are these little cards that say pray on them. If there's one thing that the Holy Spirit has been talking to you this week, this Sunday, today, if there's one thing, maybe it's from the worship time. Maybe it's from the talk. If you're saying, you know, I need to work on being quick to listen. My first priority is going to be to listen to my spouse or listen to my boss. I want you to write that down on that card. Or if maybe you're saying, you know what, I need to slow my response. I'm getting easily offended. I need to figure out why I'm getting easily offended. And I need to slow down my response and just listen. Maybe that's you. You're going to write that down. Maybe you're saying, look, I'm getting angry, and I need to have the strength to ask myself why. Am I hurt? Am I frustrated? Am I afraid? Am I insecure? You're going to have the strength to ask yourself why. Write that one thing down. Maybe it's like you you know, look, there is a, there is a, you're missing some of the implanted word in your heart. So you're going to get in the word this week. 
You're going to wrestle with the Word of God this week. You're going to let it sink deep in your heart. Maybe you want to get into the Word of God. Whatever it is, I want you to write that one thing down on the card, on the coffee bar right outside here. It actually looks like, looks like this card here. Right on the way out, you pick this card up, write that down, take it home with you. And here's a novel idea. Do it. Do it this week, okay? Make a plan. Seek the Lord. Pray about it. Let Him lead you, but then do it. Don't just listen to the Word. Don't waste your hour. If you came here and you're faking it, you're not going to do any of this stuff, you're wasting your time, right? Don't waste your hour. Write it down and then pursue it. Seek it. Seek the Word intently. Do it this week. That's your challenge. We love you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that your Word is clear. Your word is clear that if we confess with our mouth that you're the Lord and we believe in our heart that you were raised from the dead, your word is clear that we will be saved. Oh, we rejoice that salvation is a gift and we have received that gift or we will receive that gift today maybe. We receive that gift joyfully and thankfully. God, it is your work. It is the work you did on the cross for me. It's not my work. We, we are so grateful for that. But we do realize we're not, we're not fooling ourselves. We're not lying to ourselves. We do realize that, that sin hurts your heart. Sin hurts me and hurts people that are around me. And God, we want nothing to do with it. So we seek you, Lord Jesus. We ask you to extend even further grace, grace upon your grace that we might be changed. God, we do not want to be hearers, or merely hearers, but we want to be doers of your word. We love you, Jesus. We ask all this in your son's precious name. Amen.